Welcome to Purpose Without Limits, the show which strives weekly to empower you to reach your true potential, to help you understand how a simple shift in thinking can make success a reality, both professionally and personally. You'll learn about business etiquette intelligence and why a first impression is so crucial and the real rules of the game to help you outclass your competition. Your host, Dallas Teague Snyder, is founder of Make Your Best Impression, author of the book Professionally Polished, Business Etiquette Savvy for Today's Competitive Market, and co-author of Executive Etiquette Power. For more, visit MakeYourBestImpression.com. The time to become your best self is today. Here's Dallas Teague Snyder. Welcome to Purpose Without Limits. As you guys know, we have been on the air now, going on the third month, and we are so excited to come to you week after week with amazing shows to help you be your best and reach your true God-given potential. So who am I? I am your host, Dallas Teague Snyder, known as America's Impression Engineer, and even more than that, your friend, your coach, your encourager, and the person to tell you to get off the couch and do what the Lord intends you to do. So we're here again for another week of fantastic coaching, inspiration, and empowerment for those listening to us today. And we have an amazing guest, like we always do, and we'll be joining her in just a moment to talk about what it means to have a healthy relationship. We're also going to hear from Barbara Kazam with her Kazamitude Minute. I know you guys have been enjoying that. Who couldn't enjoy that moment? And of course, we'll get to the end of the show where we have our listener mailbag and our listener bonuses. So, with that being said, one last thing. If you have not been to our website yet, remember, it is PurposeWithoutLimits.com. You'll want to write that down and make sure you go there to register for your free audio download and all the extra bonuses and discounts that you'll receive as being a listener of our show today. So, without further ado, let's get into the show, shall we? Miss, <clears throat> excuse me, Miss and Reverend Edie Weinstein is a master social worker, licensed social worker, and a Renaissance woman. She is known as the Joy Coach and also the Cosmic Concierge, and her passion is helping people find what they need. She is also the author of her first best-selling book, and you notice we're being we're, we're talking about her first best-selling book, putting it out there in the future, The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, and she's offering workshops for women who want to recreate their lives based on those concepts. Something really amazing about her, which I hope to do one day, is she actually met His Holiness the Dalai Lama in 2008, which really started her on this vision that she is now uh, living, truly living, and we're thrilled to have her today. Edie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dallas. My pleasure. Well, I just, I'm so excited about having you as part of our show. And, you know, I have a, a, a sense and a, a calling myself. And I'm really curious if you could share with us what came first. Was it, uh, was it the calling or did you go into social work? Did you consider that your calling? Or, or how, how did these things merge, if you will? Okay. Um, I have a, a bachelor's degree in psychology. I knew I always wanted to help people and um, felt that a degree in social work would enable me to have more latitude to do that than if I just focused on, on the psychological aspects. So I earned an MSW, a master's degree in social work, from Rutgers University in New Jersey in 1985. So I've been a social worker for that long. Although the funny thing is I, I say that I just play one on television. It's not really my passion. 
Um, it's my, my full-time salary and benefits gig. Oh, yeah, we all it. have the <laughs> we, we, Well, most of us yeah, have the my, my passion is, is doing what we're doing right now, is, is teaching, is writing. And you mentioned my book. The book is a work in progress. It's not yet published, but I like calling it my first bestseller because it's a way of motivating myself, number one, to finish the book. As a friend of mine says, you know, the book's not doing you any good and not doing the world any good in your head. Get it out there. Oh, yes. So it's a way of intending what I, you know, what I want is to say it's my first bestseller because what we think about and think about, we bring about. <laughs> so that's what <laughs> I'm doing with the book. Well, the other I, call, go ahead. I'm oh, no, no, go ahead. I'm, I apologize. Yeah, what I was going to say is the other calling you mentioned, the ministry work, came about um, a number of years ago. My husband, who has, has since died, um, had been going to seminary, and it's a school in New York called the New Seminary. It's an interfaith school which honors all traditions. So he had enrolled in the seminary intending to become ordained. He had been ill for a number of years. And the first year of the two-year program, I had casually studied along with him. Uh, reading to him when he couldn't concentrate to read, typing his papers, um, quizzing him, learning the course material, little knowing that the calling, and literally it was a calling um, to do this, would happen shortly afterwards. Michael had hepatitis C, and for the last five and a half weeks of his life, he was in an intensive care unit, and I was there with him. I literally lived there. I didn't sleep at home till after he died, and I would do what I would call God-wrestling. Oh. And I would say, he's mine and you can't have him. And I could literally in my head hear God saying in a, in a gender-neutral voice, mm-hmm. he's mine and he's on loan to you like everybody else in your life. Oh, everybody else and everything in your life, yep. right? Yep, oh, everything's so on loan to us. Yes. So that was the first thing. Then the, the last thing or, or the, the thing that connects me to the calling to become a minister, uh, because this event, this whole illness that's, you know, that took six years, it was six years in the making, or six years, the, the dying process mm. um, was six years in the making, was one of the greatest, and I don't, when I say greatest, I don't mean yippee, ha you know, like yeah. fighting greatest, right. the deepest spiritual healing I have ever had in my life. So that five and a half week ordeal in the ICU with Michael was part of that. Literally, when they disconnected the life support, I could hear the voice again saying, call the seminary and asked to finish what Michael started. Wow. So mm-hmm. a few days after his funeral, um, I called, and they said, we'd love to have you in the program on two conditions. Number one is that you're doing it for yourself, too, and not just for Michael. Oh, okay. And you can graduate with his class, but you've got to do the first year's work all over again and the second year's work, the you know, first year's work that he did, and then the second year's work, um, or you can graduate the next year. And if you want to graduate with his class, this is what you need to do. I did it in five months. Wow. Um, and I think a part of it was that I was preparing for it, didn't know it. So well, I was it, yeah, it, it, isn't that interesting, don't you think, how, the, how you know, God does that in our lives. He prepares us for things in, in the midst of something completely different. And then we find ourselves when, when, we're, when we have to step up to the plate, we're ready. We, we're just, we're really groomed. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just how he works, isn't it? <laughs> he, she, whoever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, and and it surprised me in so many ways because I never, in a million years, expected to be widowed at forty. Mm-hmm. So that was a turning point. Um, I think that the um, that taught me a lot about relationships, about appreciating everybody in my life. It taught me um, who I am, and 
in terms of healthy relationships, it taught me about boundaries. That's a very important word. Um, I've been a caregiver all of my life, both professionally and emotionally. I've been the you know the one that wants to kiss it and make it better, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> can't always. No. Um, I literally spent years um, trying to be a you know, people pleaser. Michael would say that I was an emotional contortionist oh. who would bend over backwards to please people. Wow. And that was, I don't know where he got that line from, but it was spot on about me because I, you know, I wanted to, to be loved like everybody else, you know, but I went about it in a way that was unhealthy. Well, and so, to say the word contortionist, that really, you know, that that really brings it home, doesn't it? It says... Mm-hmm. You know how, because so many people are like that, but um, for him to be, to love you so much, to tell you that where it came to the forefront, that was powerful. Yeah, that was, yeah, and and now the joke is, um, you know, I practice yoga and I can bend over backwards. I'm no longer as much of a people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in talking about that, I, you know, I have... Fortunately, I have not actually lost anyone um, to death in, at a young age, you know, yet. But, of course, again, we never know what life will turn up. I have, of course, lost a parent um, from mental illness at a very young age and had to practice healthy boundaries for different reasons. But tell me from your uh, perspective, obviously from what you've experienced and what you know from your profession, what it means to have healthy boundaries. There may be people who go, well, what does that mean? It's just, you know, yeah, two words, healthy boundaries. But what does that really mean? Okay, well, I differentiate between boundaries and walls. Walls keep people separate. Boundaries allow them to be healthy. Um, I describe it to my my clients and and patients that I work with in the the psychiatric setting that I work in full-time. If you can imagine holding your hands together, almost in prayer pose, with your fingers interlocked, and you're tugging and pulling. One's going one way, one hand's going the other way, and they're just locked like in battle. That, those are unhealthy boundaries. That's an enmeshed relationship. Okay. And you're not going to be able to maintain that for very long without getting exhausted. Healthy boundaries look like the fingers parting and coming and going and, you know, coming together and folding together and then separating. And knowing that the hands are still connected to the body, you don't have to have them locked into each other in position like that. So that, to me... Is a, is a real graphic description of the difference between healthy boundaries and enmeshment. In uh, an organization called CODA, Codependence Anonymous, which is a 12-step program for people who are dealing with codependency, okay. they talk about the idea of not knowing where you start and somebody else stops. Hmm. You know, that when you hurt, I hurt. Right. Um, you know, the, um, I have a friend named Scott Calixtein who has, he's a singer-songwriter, and he has this wonderful song, um, called just a codependent love song. He's like a weird al Yankee, like a spiritual weird al Yankee. Yeah. And he has the song, just a codependent love song. Mm-hmm. And he he talks about, you know, just a codependent love song, one that's filled with pain and misery, just a codependent love song, glorifying insecurity. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to sing songs like, um, um, you know, I can't smile without you, <laughs> um, you know, and he'll say, get a life, you know. <laughs> Once you have found her, never let her go, you know, from South Pacific. Right. And those are the, you know, the songs that, you know, that blame and make somebody else accountable for our feelings. When people have codependent relationships, they'll rescue, fix, save. I call it savior behavior. Yeah. Um, and, I, again, I didn't coin that phrase, but mm-hmm. I love it because 
who are we to say we can save anybody? It's an inside job. I can't feel oh. cure or save anybody. No, you're that's, you're exactly right. Yeah, I remember um, what was really a um, an eye opening thing for me, and currently with my husband, I feel very very blessed because, you know, I know I was much like you. I don't know if. Maybe I was a contortionist, but, um, but I think I was a fixer. You know, when you have, when you're in that um, relationship with a bipolar parent and you're the caregiver and you're the take, I don't think necessarily that I was trying to please people. I was just trying to make peace with things. But I noticed in relationships, I would be in very unhealthy relationships. And, uh, but what I realized when um, I met my husband, I had this healthy perspective because I said, you know, I don't need him in my life, but I want him in my life. And, and it's the healthiest place I've ever been because when, when people, and I think people who are hurting and people who are in that codependent situation are attracting other people that are like that. So until you can understand what a healthy relation looks like, then it's going to be difficult to find one. Right, and if you don't grow up with it, you don't have a model for it. Right. I think that's a part of it. One thing I tell my clients patients is that no one will ever love you enough to make up for you not loving yourself. Uh. And um, in codependent relationships, often we look to other people to be our source of love. The source of love is not outside of you. It's not another person. It's not a thing. It's, it's internal. It's an inside job. And that's hard to accept for some people because we're used to saying, you know, if you're a good boy or a good girl, then you'll earn love. Love should never, ever have to be earned. Um, you just are loved because. Right, you don't have because. To earn love. Yeah. But those of us who have been codependent um, have, you know, have the, the belief that if I'm good enough, then I'll get love. I grew. I was really blessed myself. I grew up in a very loving, nurturing family where it flowed in abundance and it wasn't conditional. And a friend of mine had asked me at one point, what happened to you? How did you become such a codependent when you had that? I said, I was afraid of losing it, oh. even though I knew I never could um, on some level. But there was a part of me that believed, you know, this is getting me the good stuff. I better be a good girl and I better be the caregiver and what I called... Um, you know, little Shirley Temple, everybody's sweetheart, and that's <laughs> what I grew up with. And uh, you know, I have a wonderful relationship with my mother now. My dad has since passed; mm. it's been almost two years. Mm. And I had a wonderful relationship with him, and they were models for a healthy relationship. And at the same time, you know, they were a hard act to follow. <laughs> well, and you, you know, it's yeah. interesting that you said that because for those of us who don't, who, who didn't have it, you know, you don't have that model. But then again, we can. It's it's that whole that's that whole quest within ourselves, isn't it, to love ourselves? Because mm -hmm. even though you just said you had it, you were afraid you would lose it, and that goes from right. may, maybe you don't feel, you know, if you don't love yourself, and you go, "Am I worth the love? You know, can I lose it?" And so it goes right. back to that question: that Am I worthy? Am I, you know, am I valuable? You know, do I, mm -hmm. am I love? And so, uh, well, so how, how would you say, one of the things that I think a lot of people have a difficult time is to say no and to say yes at the right time. And oftentimes, yeah. you know, to say yes when something, you, when you really want something, even though you may think it's selfish, uh, but then also to say no when, um, you know, when it's not good for you, but you feel guilty. So what do you, what are your thoughts on those things? Okay, um, we're taught, most of us, I can't speak for everybody, but most people are taught it's not okay to say no. 
And we're also taught it's not okay to say yes. Like, who, who am I to accept a compliment, a gift, praise, whatever? Uh, I facilitate a workshop called Cuddle Party, which is partly about that. It's a communication and boundary-setting workshop that helps people to understand that not only is it okay to say no, but there are times when you need to. Right. Um, I have had what I called helium hand. When somebody would ask for a volunteer, I'd see my hand go up like a helium balloon and say, oh, pull that down. What are you doing? You know, get that down. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I didn't think it was okay to say no. Well, they'll be mad at me if I say no, and I'm supposed to help. I'm a social worker. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm supposed to be all things to all people. And what I've learned is that it's okay to say no. Um, I have a friend that went through that too and she would say she likes being essential oh. there are times when i don't want to be essential yeah <laughs> you know, i want to be so irrelevant be. yeah <laughs> so learning to say no to what you don't want and yes to what you do want um i have a difficult time being a receiver that's part of codependency too right. oh no 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 not me i can't possibly but with the cycle in a relationship a healthy relationship there's a cycle of giving and receiving there can be no true giver if there's nobody there to receive it because it's just going to bounce off of you. Well, um, and wouldn't you agree that the person who's giving you that compliment and saying, I mean, they are, they are in turn giving you a gift, and when you don't receive it, it really takes that away from them as well. So by not receiving it, that whole the flow, is the, it stops the flow, and so therefore it gets things out of balance, and it hurts both people. Mm-hmm. Right, and what I encourage people to do is be a generous giver and a gracious receiver. Right. And the other piece of it is the giving and receiving piece is that we're taught that it's better to give than to receive, but it's easier to give than to receive. It's safer to give than to receive. Right. Because when you're giving, you're in control, baby. You're the one <laughs> running right. the show. That's um, right. You, know, you decide who you give to, how much, when, what. When you're the receiver, you're vulnerable. What if they don't want to give me what I ask for. Yeah. Oh, no. What's that mean about me? I'm a loser. <laughs> you know? And none of that is true. Oh. It's, all, it's, it's absolutely the, the biggest falsehood. No doesn't mean that you're a loser. Hearing no doesn't mean you're a loser. Saying no doesn't mean you're a terrible, horrible person. It just means no. Well, and I think, sense. yeah, and so after, oftentimes people think no means that, that you're being rejected or you're rejecting other people. And and so, again, I think it's a learned, it's something we have to unlearn. And um, mm-hmm. even we... We maybe we don't learn it through uh, what we experienced as children through our parents, but perhaps we learned it on the playground. You know, somewhere we have mm-hmm. to unlearn these these poor messages that we have implanted in our brain over the years. So mm-hmm. there is hope, isn't yep. there? <laughs> oh, absolutely, there is. I mean, I I've changed so dramatically in the last eleven years since my husband passed. I've um, I've transformed who I am. I've recreated myself. And I am no longer an emotional contortionist. Oh, um, that, I rarely have helium hands. Yeah. <laughs> I know where my boundaries are. I know where I start and other people stop. Um, I'm, I'm also I'm a natural empath, so it's easy to take on other people's pain, and i got to shake it off. Oh, really? Time. You can do I that? You can feel back. it? Wow. Yeah, and that's got to be difficult for you in your, in your, you know, your uh, uh, insurance-paid work. Um, that's, yeah, that's well, be hard. Every, with, with all of my, my work, you know, and um, I'm, in order to be able to be an effective anything, you know, but particularly a therapist and a minister and you know, doing healing work, I need to be able to say, okay, this is their pain. 
in order for me to be compassionate, it doesn't mean I have to take on anybody else's pain. Right. And I used to. I used to take on people's pain. And it didn't do me any good, and it didn't do them any good. I couldn't be objective when I was feeling their pain. Wow, wow. It didn't didn't help. Well, if you're just joining us, you have reached Purpose Without Limits, empowering you to reach your true potential. And we're talking about being an emotional contortionist and and that we have overcome that, and you can too. So, um, Edie, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you hear a lot of times, oh, you you know, don't sell your soul to the devil, right? And uh, so how can we keep from selling our soul for love? Because, again, that's the ultimate thing people really want in life. Um, So how do we keep from doing that? Well, I hear whenever I've been tempted to do that, I hear the song from the the chorus line, What I Did for Love. Mm -hmm. You know that song? Yeah. Um, And one of the things that I've come to recognize is that love, again, is not something outside of me. There's a concept um, there's a, a philosopher, spiritual teacher, um, Emanuel Swedenborg. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. No. But he was the founder of what's called the New Church. Um, I live in the Philadelphia area, and there's a town called Bryn Athen, and that's the home of the New Church. Um, and you can look him up. Um, he just an, was an amazing um, spiritual teacher, and he coined the concept of you are what you love and you love what you give your attention to. Ah. And you are love. That you, you, Love is not a commodity or an item or something somebody else gives you. You are love incarnate. That's, that's your name. That's who you are. And I've learned to accept that as my truth. That if you know, in you know, in Christianity, and Christianity is not my background, by the way. I'm, I was raised Jewish, but my perspective is is what I would call interfaith. Um, love is my religion, and God's too big to put in a box. That's pretty much how I would say it. Right. But you know, they, the the concept that a lot of Christians use, you know, um, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right. I ask myself, what would love do? Oh. How would love handle this situation? How would love handle this relationship? Mm-hmm or this conflict. Now, I don't always practice what I preach. My 22-year-old son will be the first one to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we do have to live in this world, so... (laughs) So, you know, I'm a work in progress, and I think that's part of it, too, in any healthy relationship, is to realize that each person in it is a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is to realize that relationships are not 50-50. They're 100-100. Oh, my goodness. Thank you you for saying that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 100% you, 100% the other person, mm-hmm. 100% what you bring to the table, baggage and all. <laughs> um, so it's easy to point fingers and blame, but ultimately we are each responsible for our own reactions, responses to anything that happens. Well, and I, <laughs> not always easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I like to say life is a four-letter word, but so is hope, and so is love. So there you go. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so choose yeah. what you want. You know, choose which one you want to focus on. And I'd rather focus on love. That's for sure. So. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, Edie, tell us a little bit about um, what you're going to offer our guest. I know that you've got this um, the book you're working on, and maybe you have a, yes. a chapter or two we could take a peek at. Absolutely. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.liveinjoy.org. And on my website, you'll see some of my writings, which are going into the book. Um, the book, The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, is a work in progress that's taken my whole life to create. And it's a series of stories um, that, I, that are anecdotes you know, from my own, my own life. 
and at the end of each chapter are what I call bliss bites, with the idea being that sometimes we need to take nibbles of bliss before we're ready to gulp it down, because just like anything, a compliment, a gift, it's too much to digest at once, Mm -hmm. so we take little nibbles of it, and at the back of the book will be uh, more exercise, like play sheets, worksheets, things to to write with, write on rather, Um, and then there'll be room in the back to journal your experiences. There'll also be a resource guide of people and organizations that have inspired me over the years. So it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. It's an interactive book. It's a relationship between myself and the reader. So my intention is to have it out by the end of the year. And there are, as I said, some sample writings on my website that will give you a little bit of a, a taste of what the book is going to be about. Well, it's always exciting. It's that, you know, try it before you buy it type of thing. And, of course, we know it's going to be a best-selling book, so why would we not want to look forward to that today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. The voice told me so. The voice. Now, now, working in a psychiatric hospital, I know the difference between the voice for God and psychotic voices. Well, yeah. I can tell the difference. Yeah, and, and the voice told me to write a certain book too and and my intention is to have it out by the end of the year but and it's a work in progress but this is not what this show is about it's about your but so I know the voice yeah and I've heard crazy voice too so um, (laughs) so it definitely is a different and audible difference so um, well Edie I just cannot thank you enough you certainly do live up to the name joy coach and um, you know uh, love is something we can all aspire to give to receive and to be And regardless of what our faith is, I think if we just try to wake up every morning and be grateful to what we have and think about who can I touch today? Who can I, who can I encourage? Who can I lift up? Um, You know, who can I smile at? Who can I give, who can I be love for and, um, and show that? And that is what any sort of religion, any faith uh, would encourage anyone to do. So we can't argue that, can we? Nope, absolutely not. Well, Edie, thank you so much for being with us today. It's fantastic, and I hope all our listeners will, will go to your website and and um, and sample your work, and maybe they'll even uh, find out about your cuddle party workshops. Maybe there's some folks that can take advantage of that and work with you personally. That would be wonderful. We'll be back with more Purpose Without Limits after this Tude Talk Minute. Hi, this is Barbara Kazam from Kazamitude, spelled K-H-O-Zamitude.com, with your Tude Tip of the Week. Today's Tude is the Dramatude. These people are highly emotional. They have a woe-is-me mentality. Examples could be colleagues and friends. The solution is to listen for a little while, then help them focus on the facts and solutions. So you might say, oh, you're not happy with your boss? What are you going to do about it? Or, yo, you don't like your job? Well, what are you going to do about that? And when they reply to you, who are you, Miss Happy Pants? You reply, yes, I am Miss Happy Pants. Why don't you try them on? If you do this every time they come to you, they'll stop coming because you're no fun. And it makes you feel good. This is Barbara Kazam with your Tude Tip of the Week. For more information, go to kazamitude.com. Hey, everybody. Well, as you know, our time quickly comes and goes, and, uh, well, it's gone again. What can I say? I hate it. I just love when we get to take the time to just glean from those who've been there, done that, people who can share insights with us, maybe something that we've heard for the first time, or maybe it's reminded us of something we've always known or perhaps we've forgotten. 
So just think what it can do for other people as well. So please be sure to go to your Facebook accounts, LinkedIn, tell everybody about PurposeWithoutLimits.com, share it with those that you love, maybe even those you don't love. <laughs> Believe me, if everybody can just find a little joy in their heart, the whole world will be a better place. So be sure to join us next week for another amazing guest. And as you know, we're always here to help you be your best self. And if you've got questions, make sure to send me an email to Dallas, D-A-L-L-A-S, at MakeYourBestImpression.com. So without further ado, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Purpose Without Limits with your host, Dallas Teague Snyder. Dallas is founder of Make Your Best Impression, author of the book, Professionally Polished, Business Etiquette Savvy for Today's Competitive Market, and co-author of Executive Etiquette Power. Visit MakeYourBestImpression.com for more information.